again for, uh, from our tiny little hiatus break and uh, our wonderful holidays. I hope that you all had a great time out there and have enjoyed your last couple of weeks. And with me, of course, is my co-host, Kente. Hey, Kente. Hey, how you doing? Uh, great. How'd you love your two weeks off? <laughs> hey, I didn't have any time off. I kept on grinding, so... Uh, but I, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, get some rest and do what you had to do around the home front. Yeah, and uh, it was great. It's like uh, Rosh Hashanah went off without a hitch, and today finally had food in Yom Kippur. And uh, tonight we also have with us our amazing uh, guest tonight, Casper von Winterfeld. Hi, Casper. How are you doing? Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming uh, on board with us. My pleasure. So, Casper, can you tell uh, people about your background a little bit? Sure. Uh, I'm currently based in uh, Santa Monica, California. I am, uh, I guess by all intents and purposes, an independent uh, film producer and uh, have been uh, living out here in California for the last 12 years and am actively engaged in the production of content across uh, a number of different platforms. Uh, that's sort of my, my current status. Very cool. So uh, you've had quite the history. And, and just before we also get into the interview, Kinte, you want to tell everybody how they can call in and join us and everything? Sure. Um, we love participation, and the way that you can participate is you can come to our website, that is indyradio.org. That's I-N-D-Y radio.org. Or you can call in. Uh, the number is 323-522-4601. Once again, that number is 323-522-4601. And if you guys are on Twitter, please make sure that you follow us. We just started a Twitter account. It's at Movie Time Indy, I-N-D-Y. That's at Movie Time Indy, uh, I-N-D-Y. And also you can like us on Facebook now. Um, our face, our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash movie time with Grayson, uh, G-R-A-Y-C-O-N. So please make sure that you do that. And if you are listening on Indie Radio uh, Live, uh, please join us at 630 uh, Pacific, 930 Eastern, as we'll be premiering a new program tonight, The Infectious Geek. So... Uh, those are the ways that you can uh, listen to us and follow us, and uh, we hope that you do so. Now, Casper, uh, you were saying that also for many years you were in the corporate sector as well. How do you find that the corporate sector differs from the film world, or are there any crossovers? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. And um, simply put, uh, you know, I I had always had a, a big passion for doing something in the arts and then uh, from graduation from Vassar College uh, in the early 90s I sort of slipped into a uh, corporate world uh, starting my career on the Wall Street and uh, that led me uh, along for the next 12-13 uh, years and I ultimately uh, you know, realized that I wasn't doing what I had always intended to do with my life and decided that I wanted to get back into the world of the arts and, and entertainment and become a film producer and that brought me to California. But in answer to your question, you know, uh, I realized really that, you know, both sides, whether you're in the corporate world or uh, acting as an entrepreneur or a filmmaker or someone who's uh, 
working out there uh, on, on their own behalf. Uh, it's really it's really down to discipline, and both sides uh, of the equation need that, and I think that's really what leads to success. So uh, that's one of the biggest things that I noticed. Very cool, because uh, I'm sure that there's also a lot of crossovers in terms of also how business relates and how people do relate within the uh, within the industries. Absolutely, and you know, I mean, I think business is business, and at the end of the day, what business is about is is making a deal uh, that is a win-win for for all sides, and ultimately, that's determined also by uh, the character of the people involved and everything. I think for me anyway, boils down to that. And especially in the film business where you're engaged with uh, people for, for at months at a time, if not years uh, in some cases, uh, you know, it really comes down to working with people that you want to work with because time is the only thing that we can't, uh, you know, get more of or retrieve. And so we have to make the best of what we have when we have it. And that really comes down to working with people that you really enjoy working with. It doesn't always work out, but that's really what I focus on the most. Absolutely. It's like it's definitely about relationships as well as uh, forming a great bond with the people who you work with. You've also had the benefit of uh, being able to be in different places, London, Frankfurt, Zurich, as well uh, in terms of also the corporate sector as well as I'm sure also in the film sector. Um, yeah. How how do you find that it's different than the North American sector in terms of the way the business is done and also the way that film is done? That's a great question. I think, you know, um, one thing that one learns uh, when, when one sort of travels around the globe trying to, to put a deal together or make a movie is that, uh, as you rightly just said, uh, you know, each part of the, of the planet has different customs and, and people work in different ways and uh, respect is showed uh, in different formats and so one of the skill sets I think uh, you need to possess, uh, especially if you want to go down the road of, of being involved in a business that is a global one, um, is really being able to understand those uh, small but very important details that differentiate us all. Uh, across the different cultures that are represented on this planet. <clears throat> and so, you know, for me, uh, you know, that's something that I uh, have been, I guess, fortunate enough to understand early, having been brought up by uh, two uh, very international uh, individuals, as in my parents, um, who, you know, gave my uh, sister and I a really great outlook in terms of focusing on those sort of things early. And uh, it's led me to be able to live in, in and work in a number of different cultures uh, across the globe. So I think it's really important to understand those nuances. And, and that, if you look at any of the most successful people uh, uh, around, I think uh, really determines who, who can really do something on a global scale and, and who doesn't. Definitely. And it very much differentiates also. It's like uh, when dealing with uh, co-productions, it's like uh, do you find it of a different uh, – of a standardized form or a, uh, or a more challenging form because of different styles of work? 
Well, look, I mean, anytime you, you introduce more chefs to the kitchen, uh, you know, it always uh, leads to a more bubblier soup. But, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, these are sort of things that if you're in a collaborative business, which filmmaking is, um, you know, that you, you, need to, you need to be able to work through. And not always uh, are there, you know, is there harmony uh, between everybody. So, uh, you know, and that, that can be based on stylistic issues as well as, uh, you know, collaborative issues. And uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, um, as I said, these are just some of the things that you need to be aware of when, in, you know, engaging in, in larger co-production type uh, films because it does bring a lot more people to the table and everybody obviously expresses an opinion and so uh, guiding that opinion to a unified unanimous one is sometimes a challenge. Absolutely. And also, I was wondering, because it's like obviously dealing with uh, film production, it's like over the years, you know, different countries have been the one, the country to come forward. This year uh, being China that is uh, playing a major role in there. Um, a couple of years ago, the BRIC nations uh, were very, very popular dealing with Brazil, Russia, uh, other countries. It's like, uh, do you find that it's an ebb and flow or is it a rotating cycle? That's a good question. I think, you know, um, for me, uh, it was really interesting to observe uh, a dynamic shift in, um, you know, global box office receipts uh, in that, you know, it had always been the case that the domestic box office was the most dominant aspect of any sort of recoupment for a movie. And that has shifted, uh, you know, away from North America now to, you know, like you initially said, the BRIC nations, which end up, uh, I think, on, on today's tally of most of the successful global, let's call it tentpole type pictures that expand uh, across all these nations and territories, uh, that represents about 60% now of the global box office. Uh, and if that's the, the current status, uh, I think you're going to see that of that 60% right now, uh, you know, a, a probably about a 25 to 30% is China. Uh, and of that 25 to 30%, because of the mm -hmm. massive expansion of screens <clears throat> within that country over the next 5 to 15 years, uh, is going to see that uh, even expand further. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, it's anyone's guess what that number will be ultimately, but it's a sure bet to say, first of all, China is now the number one global box office uh, in the whole world. And number two, it's only going to keep growing. Uh, and what that's going to mean is obviously more you know, ability to sell the product to the public in that there'll be more screens, but more importantly, that more of your recruitment now depends primarily on a really strong international release. Uh, if you're talking big pictures, yes. the small indie pictures are obviously a completely different story, and, and having worked on both sides, uh, it's always interesting to, to sort of see how both work, but I'm, I'm stressing this mostly for the larger studio-based productions or wider release productions that, you know, cost 
north of $10 million. And in this day and age, also indie, the, the title or smaller independent films are also starting to get quite a global range. What started as under $1 million, now in this day and age is under 500000 That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, with the... Uh, to be fair, though, uh, with the um, uh, you know lowered cost of camera equipment and processing of digital versus the old uh, you know obviously film uh, post production uh, which was more expensive, uh, the cost of making a small feature now for the independents is much lower. Um, but again, you, it's not because people aren't throwing that much money at it. It's also because the pricing of things have come down quite considerably. I mean, a camera now uh, costs nothing like what it used to when you had to go to you know, Kodak or Panavision and, uh, and actually rent a massive rig for film. So, so that's, that's, you know, that's why the costs have also come down. But that's good because if you're successful now, the good news is that the return uh, on the other side of the equation is still the same, so the audience is still there. So uh, you know you can actually end up making a large amount of money off a small investment if you happen to hit it right at the right time. Obviously, well, with timing being everything in that, and so uh, you were saying also with independence, it also travels a different route as opposed to the larger international, where it's like it's an absolute crucial of knowing that you have that big global market. So how so on the independent side does, uh, in the smaller budget films, does that actually tra differ in its approach? Yeah, well, you know, an independent movie has to start looking at its campaign uh, really early. And, you know, a lot of that starts even when you, for many of these small independents, they, they raise a small amount of money, or in some cases a large amount of their budget, uh, even uh, through crowdfunding. And crowdfunding instills a certain word of mouth, and that word of mouth then leads to a Facebook following, which then leads to uh, a, a Twitter following, which leads to an Instagram following when you know the production is up and running. And all of this then, uh, you know, the idea being that all this snowballs and snowballs and snowballs to the finished film, uh, and then with that sort of army of followers, you march to hopefully one of the bigger festivals, and uh, at one of those festivals, uh, you know, the film gets noticed and hopefully bought, or at least some form of a distribution deal is discussed. So, so that's sort of the, you know, the, the indie typical indie route uh, as it pertains to today's market. The good news is that the distribution side has immensely increased. In other words, there are many more avenues now into which you can uh, uh, circulate the movie that weren't available uh, uh, even three years ago, or two years ago. So in that case, uh, you know, for a producer, it means your strategy, your exit strategy is a little bit more uh, wider than it used to be, and that's that's obviously good if you've made a product at the right price and then can get it out there at the right festival. So that, in, in my opinion, is, is the, let's call it, typical indie-produced movie route. Mm -hmm. 
which uh, makes uh, absolute sense. It's like it, it does, especially with the internet coming into play, also different new distribution models, ways of getting things out there. Who knows what future technologies uh, may lie in there, especially now that we're getting into interactive imaging and stuff and gaming and cross-platform. I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, uh, you know, I went to Vassar, as I told you, and um, I went to school, uh, you know, to say I was a classmate with Jason Blum. And Jason Blum, as you may know, uh, you know, had an extremely successful uh, situation occur in uh, that he had discovered the movie Paranormal Activity uh, at Sundance and yes. facilitated that to the big screen and, and off went his career. And it was interesting because when he had first sort of put that film into the marketplace, uh, he had discovered a, a new mechanism uh, with which to attract crowds uh, over social media. And that mechanism was called uh, Demand It. And demand it was very simple in that if the hype of a film, uh, you know, was strong enough, you would then just uh, press this this button or, or you know what it was on the internet at the time, and it would demand you would be another voice that would demand that this movie play in that area. And Paramount had told him that if he gets, I think, a million people to demand it then they would go out with it on a uh, wide-release uh, theatrical. And wow. so you know, that was the campaign. And uh, you know, I'll never forget when it popped up at the time on his Facebook page. Uh, and he was you know, requesting people to start demanding the movie. And it just became, uh, became a craze. And everybody started to demand it. A little bit like what had happened maybe 10 or so years earlier when Blair Witch... Uh, project came out and they too started an amazing word of mouth campaign uh, backed up by obviously these these really terrific uh, fake reports uh, online about what was going on in this little village apparently in history blah 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 so you know it's as I said it's really important I think to to sort of tie a campaign to your movie, uh, and that's at the end of the day, uh, you know, what can really differentiate you uh, from the rest of the pack. Wait a minute, Absolutely. are you saying that the uh, Blair Witch thing isn't real? Oh, did I ruin it for you? I'm sorry, yeah. Father Christmas is real too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like that was quite the brilliant campaign that they had back then. Right. You know, and it got everybody hooked. So, you know, for filmmakers, obviously, that's not always uh, possible. And, uh, you know, for a lot of what I would say, uh, you know, independent films, which are dramas, it's hard to, to really stimulate that sort of uh, a campaign uh, because, you know, these other ones have obviously worked well because they focus on fear, which is a great emotion to sell a movie on. Um, but, again, it's it's really, you know... It's really important, I think, when you're producing films to always have in mind how can this be marketed because at the end of the day, that's going to be one of the most important aspects, especially in the independent world, of how to make your money back and hopefully make money on top of it. 
definitely. You want to know uh, your campaign ahead of time and your target audiences as well to make sure that you're actually getting them excited and interested, especially in social media where they have 25,000 other things in this day and age that they can be watching. Right. Exactly. So tell us a little bit also about Fortune, uh, about your uh, about your company as well. Sure. Yeah. No, Fortune Films uh, was a company that I um, started in 2006, uh, and uh, is a is, is primarily a um, development, production, and financing entity for independent films, um, and it's really uh, you know a hub for. Uh, the development of, of indie projects uh, that are, uh, I would say, you know, in the in the low budget range. So we've worked with a, a lot of filmmakers over the years um, that are looking either to make their first or second feature, um, and have developed that with them, um, and have worked, you know, with with a number of these types of projects over the last uh, almost ten years. Very cool. And uh, how important to you guys is track records, seasoned or unseasoned, or do you take chances with newer people? Well, I mean, I think I think uh, um, you know it's 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 always a risk when you are uh, producing a feature for with a director who is sort of on his first feature. Um, but having said that, um, you can, uh, uh, on the other hand, though, uh, get some really fortunate situations out of the same sort of experience. In other words, sometimes uh, you know the first feature that a young director makes uh, has so much of their passion and uh, their aspirations in it that it can turn out to be a wonderful film. And I work very closely with Sundance, uh, having been invited uh, a number of times up there to the institute, also to the labs, uh, and uh, you know had the fortunate experience of seeing some of you know people's first works in progress, and um, and as a result, would say having backed a few young first-time directors that I actually enjoy. Uh, the risk of backing somebody whose voice is new uh, to the public. So, again, it takes a lot more uh, experience and a lot more guidance uh, in that mm-hmm. sort of collaborative process. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's something for which that particular filmmaker will always be grateful for, and uh, you know, also can lead to if you if you keep the costs in line and uh, everything is well calculated, it can lead to a, a really good experience, especially if the film uh, and, and that particular filmmaker uh, debuts to uh, a strong audience at some uh, of the notable festivals around the country. Now, a question that I always like to ask our guests is, during a, a particular production, what keeps you up uh, at night? Well, I tell you, the biggest thing that I always think about is, is the food going to be there for the crew and cast at craft service? That is really the first thing I think about because any producer will tell you that a crew is always happier if 
fed well. So that's the first thing I think about. Um, so the well-being of the people that I'm working with. Uh, and if that's not in order, then we have a problem because then you get a mutiny situation and everything goes up in arms. So, so that's, the, <laughs> that's the biggest thing that keeps me up at night. But having said that, um, you know, for me, I think, I think really just the, the balancing act of all the things that you are uh, you know, constantly having to sort of keep up on and, and maintain and focus on and, and make sure this is happening and payroll and, and everybody is basically always looking to you to make sure that that is the case. So the pressure's on the producer and uh, I don't know, uh, you may have heard this, but the producer is sort of the role that mm -hmm. you know, if everything goes right Rarely does the producer really get acknowledged for it. It either is the great star, the wonderful writing, the wonderful directing, whatever. But if everything goes wrong, <laughs> obviously the first person that's blamed is the producer. So oh, yeah. this is the daily, the daily, <laughs> the daily thought that we have as producers. And uh, and so in answer to your question, what keeps me up? But I guess all of the above. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, do, uh, do we have enough call sheets for the day? Do we? Have, is, is our star going to show up? Exactly, exactly. So, if they uh, show up, will we have to do something with them? That's right, exactly. It's, you know, as I said, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a, um, uh, a constant balancing act. And, um, you know, it's, uh, as I said, uh, if you've got good people that you've worked with before and, and who... Uh, you know, understand the way that the operation works, then uh, it makes it a lot easier. But uh, you know, typically, uh, crews come together, and sometimes you know somebody's working on something else, so you can't pull in the same keys, and it changes the the, the crews up, and and so it's always a, a different experience on every movie. But um, as I said, it's uh, yeah, that's just part of part of life on set, I guess. Yeah, they call it the greatest job that you always love, but the one that you're going to wind up with the biggest amount of tums. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's why the craft truck keeps so many antacid tablets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, it's it's the fun that we decided to get into. So uh, you know, I'm not I'm not complaining by any means. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a wonderful life if you're fortunate enough to do it. Uh, you know. Do it right, and um, and I and I as I said, for me, I've been very fortunate to have been uh, you know able to change my life around uh, as I was sort of sitting on a trading desk in Frankfurt, uh, you know, uh, working at the time for uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, you know, one of the big big global banks, and and uh, you know, not complaining necessarily about the life that I was in, but yearning for a life that I had thought. I would, uh, you know, be on the path to lead, and uh, and then deciding that, you know, I need to switch gears, and came out to California thanks to, you know, the AFI, which uh, I will plug right here as one of, you know, the nation's Absolutely. premier uh, schools and really a fantastic training ground, uh, especially for me at the time. And, um, you know, I think it's just, I, I mean, as I said, it's, 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 it's passion. And the people in this business are all definitely passionate. And that's really, uh, you know, one of the reasons why it's so much fun to be in. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I am, I am definitely uh, very grateful 
to be doing what I'm doing. Almost definitely, it's like a, it's a, an, an entirely different world and different industry whatsoever. It's like anybody who would say that film is like something else. Right, right. Well, it's you know, as I said, the the nice thing about the medium is that it's uh, you know. And this is really one of the sort of, uh, I guess, thoughts that I had when I changed tracks was that it really has uh, uh, the ability to impact uh, lives um, in a way that, uh, you know, I think very few other forms of art do. And that's, that's really what drove me to, to become involved in it because I wanted to sort of do something with my life that could impact others, and uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough. Unfortunately, not every film I make is as impactful as the other, but uh, you know, one or two have definitely stirred some emotions, and that's a good thing. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, very grateful, as I said, to be able to do that. Definitely, and you were mentioning the AFI, so let's give them their, uh, uh, also that. Talk a little, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the AFI and the, a little bit about how yeah. you wound up becoming involved and what's yeah. involved with it? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it, you know, when, when, when I was looking at, uh, uh, you know, making this change, I really, um, you know, had no real idea how I was going to implement that uh, in my life and uh, came to the conclusion that going back to some form of educational, uh, uh, I guess, involvement would, would lead me along the right way. And so I started doing my research on film schools and AFI uh, came on my radar, uh, not only because of its grand status as a great film school, but also because it didn't need me to have to take any sort of entrance exam so I could just you know send in my application as a as a banker in Europe uh, and, and see what happened and um, and I did and uh, you know uh, it, mm-hmm. it was a uh, you know in hindsight uh, it was a tremendous amount of luck but maybe it was also fortune and, and destiny who knows uh, but it was you know only about 28 spots uh, available uh, to, I think, over a thousand or so applicants. So it was a you know tough race to get into those 28 spots, but uh, God willing, I was one of those chosen. And you know, AFI, the beauty of that school, um, you know, not that it, that the other film schools don't have their own uh, good things about them. But the beauty about AFI is that it really focuses on the hands-on production of movies. And, uh, you are thrust into a factory of movie making where you're on set literally every weekend, whether it's your movie or somebody else's movie, you're somehow involved. And it just teaches you the principles of production and being on set that, is invaluable when you go out into the real world. And so for me, AFI was a fantastic place to sort of restart my engines and learn the business and then apply, which became very useful later, all the skill sets that I had already achieved in banking and in international business and all the rest of it. But I lacked the knowledge of what it's like to be on set. And I think that's what AFI really plugged for me and it was a um, you know, fantastic experience and now I sit on their board and it's a uh, uh, you know really an honor for me and it's uh, you know a great experience and a great 
way to give back to uh, my alma mater. And uh, you know, as I said, it's uh, it's for me, it was a, a life changing experience, no doubt. Absolutely, and it's like it's wonderful. Also, how the AFI works so well with the AFM. Correct, and, and, and uh, the. The nice thing is the the only the only the only downside of that is that you constantly are traveling you know from one side of town to the other, which in LA sometimes can be a real hassle, uh, as <laughs> as we all know due to traffic. Um, but AFM and AFI uh, AFI has its uh, festival during the same week as AFM. Uh, it also brings together uh, you know not only the business side. Which is all happening at the AFM, which uh, you know is the big market here in town uh, for all the sales and, and business deals uh, for films that are currently hitting the marketplace. And then uh, in the evenings, uh, you know, over in Hollywood uh, at the Dolby Theatre or at the uh, uh, Chinese, you have every night a premiere of some sort, as well as a whole festival going on that AFI is hosting. So it's really it's a great week to be in LA uh, for all film. Filmophiles or cinephiles, and um, and definitely a, a good time to be in town for for business as well. Absolutely, and get a chance to really also get to see it from AFI's point of view as well, like the future film uh, future filmmakers. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it's, uh, it, it definitely is. And I was uh, you know last uh, uh, last semester for AFI was the uh, commencement for the thesis films and I was uh, asked to be on the jury and uh, it was a fantastic smattering of short films that we had to adjudicate the winner of which was which was really difficult but uh, you know that then led to uh, more recently a uh, announcement that AFI was very proud to make that it had a record-setting number of young filmmakers uh, and films represented at the student Oscars this year uh, which obviously made us all very proud and, and speaks highly to the dedication and professionalism of the school. So, so that was some really good news. At this point in your career, um, do you still have the same love for uh, filmmaking and being a part of the process? Or has it grown or is it got to a point where maybe it's old hat and, you know, uh, do you still have that same love? Good question. That's, uh, uh, you know, for me, I think I'm always looking to grow, um, and and so the you know the the immediate sort of uh, craving and and, uh, and and need to produce movies and and um, become involved in the whole process of, of production for a feature film uh, is something that I've done uh, you know quite a bit of now, um, and and also. You know, during my time here in Hollywood, I've, I've been fortunate enough to sort of be involved in a number of different aspects. So, uh, you know, that's led me uh, along some interesting paths throughout the last sort of 12 years that I've been here. But for me, you know, I, I'm beginning to think now uh, specifically about the future uh, and, uh, you know, what this business holds. And it's interesting that you ask that because I'm actually delving quite heavily into a new arena that I think is very, very promising and also uh, highly attractive to, uh, you know, startup specialists like myself or anybody in the film business who, with every venture, it's a new project and new startup. And that is the world of virtual reality. 
and I am yes. pushing very strongly. I've formed a company. I've got developers here in Venice now that uh, uh, you know I'm working with. Uh, we've you know got a few products already in the pipeline, and it's a uh, you know, world that I think is going to explode and ultimately, uh, you know, change the destiny of the planet. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I don't think so. And I'm not a, I'm not a dystopian in the sense that I think this is a negative, but I do believe that what this technology is going to, uh, you know, allow us and what it's going to lead to is definitely going to change our lives. And uh, so I, I want to be on the forefront of that. And so I've been working very hard with uh, people here and, and, and attending a lot of interesting discussions uh, on what's going on in that area. So, so in answer to your question, uh, that's where I'm branching out into. Um, and I've, I've really made a big commitment to, to make that part of my future. Okay. So when you're looking at uh, virtual reality, it's like, uh, how do you think that that's going to change the audience tastes of the interactive platform as opposed to the way that they've been able to also at times get emotionally involved in film, now they will be able to actually get physically involved? Right. Well, physically and emotionally. Um, you know, one of the, uh, I mean, uh, you know, virtual reality uh, for those listeners who have not uh, tried it um, is is a is a you know moment uh, in your life when you ultimately will you know look back on this is when I experienced something new because when you put that headset on your head and you enter into whatever virtual world it is that you're you know going to allow yourself to play in. Um, it changes the way that you perceive, you know, content and uh, worlds, and ultimately, uh, I think, will lead to a, a whole new, uh, uh, you know, evolution in, in you know, content manufacturing and, and what it's going to mean for us as the consumer. And why I say that is because. What's interesting is that unlike when you're watching a movie where you know you can be emotionally involved, no doubt about it, and you can have emotions jerked by either being frightened or made to laugh, made to cry, that's all. But when you leave the theater, that all stays in the theater. Yeah, you may think back upon a moment where you laughed, you may think back, but it's like it was always a moment that you only related to because you saw it up there on the screen. In virtual yeah. reality, the difference is that what it does to your mind, if it's done well, and I've you know been witness to uh, some amazingly well-produced content that really does make you feel this, and that is that it changes the way that you think about this content from not being something, let's say, that's reflected up there on the screen, but something that has actually occurred in the form of that it almost starts to become your own memory. And then, if you start to think about what that implicates, then you really start to grasp the value and the, you know, the really the power of what virtual reality could do. And that's, that's I think, where we're sort of very early on at the beginning of this wave, but it's, it's undoubtedly going to change so many things, and you can see the players betting heavily on it. 
So, you know, the, the front runners obviously being Facebook with the acquisition of Oculus, with uh, Google and their massive, uh, you know, under wraps acquisition or buy-in into a company called Magic Leap. But it's like mm-hmm. there are, you know, huge amounts of money being bet on the future of this. And the future of this is only just now even beginning to unfold. So, I, I, as I said, uh, for me, I think it's, it's a game changer and it has so many uh, uh, uses that, um, you know, virtual reality is, is where I, I'd like to bet on the future for myself. You know, uh, part of it is, uh, you know, I think, is, is there a lot of, like, science being done as far as how it may affect somebody? Um, because uh, I think that would be, like, a real fear that, you know, that it could affect somebody. Because, like, um, like, with video games, you always hear people talking about how video games uh, affect uh, kids and, sure, sure. and whatnot. You know, it's a... Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more in, in the sense of that, much like the internet, uh, which when it first uh, sort of hit, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm of an age where I can remember this very clearly, uh, you know, when it hit, uh, everybody was just so excited about what it would mean and all the possibilities and all of this and all of that, and very little was said about the uh, negative implications. You know the implications on, uh, you know what it would mean for you know kids being able to get online and being exposed to all of this information and and you know all of this sort of stuff. Would that have any sort of psychological effect? And I think it's a similar situation in virtual reality in that uh, you know all of these new technologies bring with them both positive but also negative implications. And what those will be, I don't know. But uh, I would probably agree with you that there will undoubtedly be some, uh, you know, some, something that will have some sort of negative uh, implication on the consumer. But it also allows for a much more cerebral experience, too, because it does allow well, you then yeah. that... It, it, you know, that, that all depends on the content that's being manufactured. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all in the hands of the content makers to develop things that are obviously meaningful and powerful, and yet, uh, you know, in my opinion, have to be uplifting and, and positive in what they're trying to achieve. But, you know, in answer to your question earlier, you know, there could be obviously usage of this sort of technology that you know, might be a negative for those that consume it, whatever that is. I mean, yeah, again, if, you, if you've had this sort of experience with what, uh, you know, you can immerse yourself into, you'll understand how powerful it is uh, and, and then, you know, why that can be really positive. But, you know, there's always, there's always a, a flip side to it. Very true. It's like, and yet at the same time, also, if people are also, uh, I guess that the word would be susceptible to it to begin with, it's like, then you wouldn't be able to control that situation one way or the other. Right. If somebody is influenced by a certain medium. Right. And. It's, it's, again, it's. We have to just accept that there will be, I guess, a sort of, let's call it collateral damage 
uh, when adopting a new uh, technology and, and implementing it. Um, but as I said, that aside, the uh, you know the upside is is unbelievable, and I think it will allow a lot of progress for uh, for us as mankind to occur because of the ability to instill a situation, or instill someone into a situation that isn't real, but at the same time feels real. And I think that can be very useful and very powerful if applied properly. Absolutely. So what are you seeing is the future challenge that you would want to take on? Then knowing that virtual reality is, uh, is on the precipice as well, but also what is the future uh, challenge that you'd want to take on in terms of either project or something uh, that would be your next level of challenge? I think for me, uh, you know, it's a constant, uh, um, and I have, you know, I have uh, obviously uh, always a number of these that are uh, you know, on my desk and, and in let's call it the irons in the fire um, in terms of in terms of feature film projects um, so you know seeing those come to fruition uh, you know is always uh, an aim for me obviously so I am constantly pushing them forward uh, and in terms of what uh, you know I, I would like to focus on um, you know I, I think I think that is always sort of occurs as, as they sort of fall into place so I couldn't really tell you right they're, they're all babies of mine you know they're all they're all things that I'm passionate about and uh, and you just sort of have to find the right moment and the right angle uh, to push each of them forward uh, you know we just finished filming um, a piece here in in LA uh, over the summer which I'm extremely excited about, and that's in post-production now, uh, called Pretty Face. And Pretty Face is a, is a wonderful story that I'm collaborate, collaborating with uh, uh, a really long-term uh, both friend and also collaborator back from my AFI days. Uh, and she is a wonderful feature film director uh, who's written this piece, and, and we you know, shot this with, with Patrick Schwarzenegger and... Um, uh, with Carson Leoda, Ray Leoda's uh, daughter, who uh, I'm definitely uh, very, very uh, excited about uh, debuting, and uh, we hope that uh, you know we can get this uh, either to uh, debut at Sundance or at Tribeca uh, next year, and, and that's sort of you know in the pipeline right now. Um, so you know, as I said, for me, everything that I do, I do with. 110% uh, commitment. I spend a lot of time circling projects until I dive in and say this is what I want to do. But I think you know when I made my commitment to something, uh, there's no greater passion for me than to see it through and see it happen. And, uh, and so this is the next one that I'm excited about. And uh, and on my roster, we've got about two, three, or four more that are in the pipeline. Uh, hopefully, another one of those will go into production before the end of the year. So so that's sort of my uh, immediate uh, focus. And also over the summer, I see that you did uh, something with the Sea of Cortez, that Mission Blue? That's right. I had a, a really a fantastic opportunity to join Mission Blue, which is a, um, uh, a philanthropic conservation organization led by uh, a woman by the name of Dr. Sylvia Earle, who has, uh, you know, achieved 
all the accolades, I think, uh, that are achievable for a conservationist slash humanitarian that she is. And, uh, you know, at 80 years old, she is still strapping her, uh, you know, aqua gear on her back and jumping into the ocean uh, to, to, you know, do as much good as she can around the world in areas that she defines as hope spots, uh, which are, you know... Uh, areas within the oceans mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, have some real uh, positive, uh, I guess, potential uh, if conserved. And the Sea of Cortez is one of those. So, uh, you know, we were very fortunate to go down there along with some, some renowned National Ge Geographic uh, uh, filmmakers to, uh, you know, to focus on that area in specific uh, for that mission, but also to, uh, you know, to continue her overall uh, plight to, to you know conserve as much of the oceans as possible, and um, and her film Mission Blue, uh, which I urge all the listeners to to go watch, uh, available on Netflix, uh, really uh, highlights uh, you know not only her passion but also the needs that uh, you know the oceans are definitely uh, wanting right now. Absolutely, because there is. Uh like so many sea level, like so many sea places that are just unfortunately being completely trampled upon. Right, right. You know, it's, as I said, uh, we have to understand that if uh, we don't take care of the oceans, uh, then uh, you know, life as we know it uh, is also in serious jeopardy. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, everything works in harmony with. The ocean, and if we continue to pollute it, which is one of the biggest problems, obviously, as well as uh, you know the enormous uh, uh, depletion of uh, the natural reserves, be that fishing or uh, just coral in general, and all the things that sustain life underwater, uh, you know, we need to we need to make sure we sustain because uh, if there's no water uh, and no life in that water, uh, then there won't be much life on land either. So, uh, you know, it, it's something we all need to think about. And I know, um, you know that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, is doing some fantastic work also with Mission Blue, as well as uh, some of his other uh, conservation organizations. And it's a, it's a terrific cause and, and one that I think, as I said, um, my wife and I definitely enjoy being a part of. All right, what do you? And, do? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, go on. Um, now I know you work very hard, and uh, and um, you know you're a very busy guy. But what do you do for fun? Just to you know to chill <laughs> well, out. I would consider diving fun. So we do a lot of that. Um, you know, which is which is always a pleasure for me. Uh, and uh, and then outside of that, um, you know, uh, I think for me. One of the things that I really like to do is escape LA, and uh, we're fortunate enough to, to have a place up in this small little community in Idaho called uh, Sun Valley, and uh, and I love to just sort of escape up there. And, and up there, you can just do mountain biking and hiking and, and get into the fresh air and, uh, and 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 you know really just sort of relax. So that's something that I need. Uh, frequently these days, <laughs> as I've noticed, um, to really just sort of, uh, you know, unwind from from what is you know a pretty busy day for me on a daily basis in LA. So, you know, that's that's sort of when I get to sort of uh, retreat, and and I love it up there. It's really it's a nice getaway place. 
Very cool. And do you have a lot of other uh, philanthropic causes that you find that are uh, things that you'd want to bring forward? Or do you like working with people who have philanthropic causes? Well, uh, between my wife and I, we've, we've sponsored a lot of uh, interesting uh, uh, societies. And, um, you know, uh, I mentioned what I've just been doing, but, uh, you know, together with my wife, who uh, has just uh, rolled off a board uh, that is very prominently involved in the conservation of wildlife in, in Eastern Africa. Um, uh, you know, that's one other area that we're also very, uh, you know, passionate about conserving. Uh, and then, you know, we do a lot of work. My wife, uh, actually, uh, for the last 20 years, has been uh, very active in, in the Boys and Girls Club in uh, uh, South Central LA, uh, and we go down there, or have gone down there uh, quite frequently to, to just be part of that uh, whole little uh, community, and um, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's just when we can, we do what we can, and it's really important, I think, that uh, we all try and give back somehow. I mean, uh, if I could do more, I would most definitely... Uh, try to fit more into our schedule, but uh, those are the you know the three areas that I think right now uh, we have a lot of time uh, for all the time for I should say uh, and, and really enjoy what we can do with that. Which are amazing places to uh, to have that. So uh, as we're slowly you know, also coming towards the end as well for uh, right now, I wanted to also ask: Is there any advice that you'd want to impart on? future filmmakers or people who are coming to approach you or uh, actually well, in both categories? Think, uh, you know, for, for, for future filmmakers, um, first of all, I would say that this business is one about attrition. So uh, you have to be in it to win it. Um, and, and that's part of the game. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, the real, uh, you know, the real passion comes with making things. So, uh, you know, focus on making things. Uh, just continue to, uh, you know, really get out there and create. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's a, a short vine uh, to uh, a feature length or even a, a television series. I mean, it's just about creating because there are so many avenues that you can distribute down nowadays uh, in which you can then create a following that um, you know, you really don't have an excuse if you are creative not to create, and so uh, you know that's that's the advice I would give: follow your heart, create sensible, meaningful, uplifting content, and uh, you'll find an audience for it. And I think that's really uh, what I would say: focus on. And is there also uh, anything that you would uh, want in terms of things that you would be wanting somebody to approach you with when they come to you? Well, I think, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's always down to, um, you know, the, the concept. Um, and, and I think, you know, one thing to focus on is always create a great log line. If the film uh, or the content uh, can't be explained in a good log line, then you may have a problem. So make sure that you've got a good log line. 
And, uh, you know, for me, as I said, it's, it's always about just, I guess, discovering things that uh, appeal uh, to me that I want to have, uh, you know, an association with. So what that is, uh, I can't really tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know it when I see it, when I read it. So, um, you know, I, I think, as I said, uh, focus on the fact that you can get a really clear log line and uh, doors will open much faster than, uh, than if you don't. Also, what do you see as the future of distribution? I Next think distribution is, is now sort of in a good place. We had a lot of uh, upheaval over the last five years uh, that is now sort of settled following the demise of the DVD. Um, but I think now we're in a sort of place where uh, you know, as I said, there's so many avenues that you can distribute down, even self-distribute, uh, so that, uh, you know, it really is less of a, a problem now than it used to be. Uh, and in doing so, uh, you know, it's down then again to making content that you can make at the right price for that distribution. So, you know, no way you're going to distribute before you make the product uh, and you'll have a much better angle than if you just create something and then hope to distribute it. So, uh, you know, I think that's really the, the bottom line. Know your audience, know where you're going to head with the content, and then create the content for that audience. Very cool. So, uh, how is it that people can get in touch with you? Uh, you can you can send uh, an email directly to uh, my company, um, and that is... Uh, Look at that. It's, I think, info at fortunefilms.us. <laughs> I think someone just sent you. They're already rolling. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and uh, is there an, uh, so sending emails your, uh, your best way that you would like to be in contact? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, you know, we have a very strict policy also with our, uh, 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 admissions or selection process, uh, submissions process um, in that, uh, you know, we obviously have to uh, ensure that the content is actually yours to begin with. Uh, so we have a, a policy of uh, uh, where you subject uh, uh, or submit your project. We send you back a form that uh, just acts as a disclaimer. And, uh, and then it runs into our usual sort of submissions process of, of being read, uh, if we like it, then uh, we reach out to you. We maybe get some coverage on it, and then we proceed. But that's sort of the uh, the typical sort of pipeline uh, process that we do. Definitely. And Kente, how do people get in touch with you? They can follow me at Kente F on Twitter, and uh, also too, uh, if you're on Indie Radio, uh, stay tuned because in about thirty minutes. We'll be having the premiere of the Indie, I'm sorry, the Infectious Geek Show. Great. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, gosh, Bizipedia, um, well, now on Twitter, um, with uh, our uh, Movie Time one on YouTube. Goodness, like, I, uh, like I've said many a time, if you can't find me, you're not stalking me hard enough. <laughs> And we want to thank you extremely much and absolutely would love to continue also our interview. Uh, Kaspar, if you're willing to come back to us again. Great. Love to. 
Excellent. And uh, we look forward to uh, speaking with you again. And thank you very, very much once again for coming on the show with us. Great. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Take care. Take care. Bye.